Well, welcome everyone again to First Light South Portland Church. I'm Pastor AJ. Before we dive in, in our, to our new series today, um, I want to share a couple quick announcements with you guys. First of all, I want to let you know, last week um, we gave out some Advent devotionals. We had about 40 of them um, in the back. All of them went. And then I heard there were a couple people who missed out on them. So I want to let you know we did order some more. Um, they should be arriving this week. So if you want to come by the church later in the week, um, they'll probably be out there in the foyer again. You can get one in case you missed out on getting one of those Advent devotionals. Um, I also want to share with you that we have Christmas Eve invite cards. They're available here in the back of the sanctuary, also back by the coffee bar in the foyer. We would love for you to grab a couple invite cards and think about people in your life. Already be praying for them weeks in advance on who you might want to invite on Christmas Eve to come out to church. We want to give you a little tool to be able to help you to make that invitation. And then lastly, as I shared with you guys um, for the last couple weeks, during this time between you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas, we like to highlight one of our major offerings in the church uh, for Compassionate Ministry, which is called the One in 100 Fund. So if you are able to give to the One in 100 Fund to help families in our church community who might be dealing with a crisis situation in their lives, we would love for you to be able to do that. Many people in our church give monthly, $10, $20 a month. You can do that online. You can do that by adding it to a tie check and just indicating um, on your check in the memo or however you want to do that. Or you can do a one-time gift. But we announce it during this time of year every year. Well, welcome again to church. If it's your first time here, first time back in a while, again, like I said earlier, you picked a great week to come out because today we're beginning a brand new Christmas series called The Ghosts of Christmas. And in this series, we're going to be looking at the classic Charles Dickens story called The Christmas Carol, where old Ebenezer Scrooge is visited one Christmas night by four supernatural entities with one last chance to redeem his soul and really understand the truth of Christmas. So each week in this four-week series, we're going to look at one of these ghostly visitations, and then we're also going to be looking at four supernatural visitations found in the New Testament in our Bible that occurred during the actual Christmas story. So if you have your Bible today or a Bible app on your phone, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1, because that's where we're going to be in the Bible today, Luke chapter 1. Um, and while you're doing that, let, let's talk a little bit about Christmas. Because see, I, I would be willing to guess that if we compared notes about Christmas and our Christmas experiences, maybe our Christmas experiences as adults would be a little bit different from one another. But I'm guessing if we were to compare notes on our Christmas experiences as children, we might all have a lot more in common. The agonizing, the waiting for Christmas, the looking every day at the calendar, counting down the days till Christmas was going to come, till Christmas vacation from school. Do you remember how as a kid it seemed like it just took forever for Christmas to get here? The days right before Christmas were like the longest days of the entire year. But then you become an adult and now if somebody says, you know, it's three weeks till Christmas, you don't get excited anymore. You panic, right? You, you panic. You, you start to freak out. You're like, Christmas presents, we haven't done anything. We have so many things on the list. Isn't that weird? The other day, um, my, um, my preschooler, my four-year-old, uh, Lincoln, this was like around, I guess, Thanksgiving time, 
And he was asking me, when's Christmas coming? When's Christmas coming? I was like, about six more weeks until Christmas. And he's like, that's going to take forever. And then just the other day, somebody told me, yesterday, it was like three and a half weeks until Christmas. And I was like, say what? Like I was freaking out. My kids are like, yay, Christmas, so close. I'm thinking, oh no, too fast, I'm not ready. And as kids, we probably had something else that maybe we did in common. So confession time in church. Uh, I promise I won't leave the room except for all the people watching on YouTube right now. But here's the question for you guys. How many of you would be willing to admit, show of hands, that you searched for your Christmas presents in advance when you were kids? Okay, yeah, a lot of you guys. A lot of you guys, my people. Now, how many of you actually ever found the gifts? So you go, oh, okay, okay. Now, how many of you actually opened the gifts and played with them? We got some jacked up people in the room today. Look at that. Look at that. But you know, I'm actually right with you. I'm right there with you. One year, I discovered that my parents had hid Christmas presents in our attic. And so I went up in the attic when mom and dad weren't home with a butter knife and a roll of scotch tape. And I opened my presents and played with them and then resealed them. Sorry, Mom, she's in the back. She probably doesn't know that happened, all right? And I remember, I remember having fun but being a little bummed. Like, I got the Transformers that I wanted and the G.I. Joes and some of the He-Man action figures, and I played with those a little bit. And then as I started looking through some of the other presents, um, everything was like clothes and underwear, and what I really wanted, what I told my parents I really wanted was I really wanted a video game system. My, my neighbor had an Atari 2600, and I really wanted to get an Atari 2600. But all the rest of the presents were like clothes. Now, mom and dad, to their credit, they actually did surprise me on Christmas Day after I was like, yay, tidy whities and opened the last present. They went into a room, and they pulled out one last present that they had hidden away in their bedroom, and it was actually this. That is the original 8-bit Nintendo Entertainment System. Someone needs to amen that right now, this morning. Thank you. That was great parenting. I love you, Mom. That was awesome. Great Christmas. Well, the interesting thing is that this dynamic of waiting is the same dynamic that we find at the start of the Charles Dickens Christmas Carol and the biblical Christmas account. Now, The Christmas Carol was written again by this famous author, Charles Dickens, um, who was also a professed Christian. In fact, in one of his writings about a year before his death, May 12, 1869, Dickens penned these words. He said, I commit my soul to the mercy of God and my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I exhort my dear children humbly to try to guide themselves by the teaching of the New Testament in its broad spirit. So Dickens was a, was a believer. He was a believer. Now in the Christmas Carol, we learned that Christmas Eve was the anniversary of the passing of the main character, Ebenezer Scrooge, his longtime partner in business, Jacob Marley. And, and Scrooge was this miserable miser who just loved money above all other things. But it had been like seven years since his partner Marley's death. And during those seven long years, apparently the spirit, the ghost of Jacob Marley, had tried to connect with Scrooge and warn him that his soul was in danger 
but he had been not allowed to do so. And it wasn't until this particular Christmas Eve that Marley was finally allowed to make contact with Scrooge. And so if we can dim the lights in here a little bit, turn your attention to the screen, here's what happened. Spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. It is doomed to wander through the world. Oh, woe is me, and witness what it cannot share, but might have shared on earth and turn to happiness. Jacob, Jacob Marley, speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to give. I cannot rest. I cannot stay. I cannot linger anywhere. Oh, never to be able to make amends for missed opportunities. Oh, the torture of remorse. Listen to me, Ebenezer. My time on Earth is nearly gone. I am here to warn you that you have a chance of escaping my terrible fate. A chance I got for you. You are always a good friend to me, Jacob. You will be haunted by three spirits. Is this the chance you spoke of? It is. In that case, I'd rather not. Without their visits, you have no hope of escaping your fate. Expect the first tomorrow when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over and done with? Expect the second spirit on the next night at the same time, and the third the night following at twelve. Look to see me no more. And for your own sake, remember what has passed between us. So Marley warns him after wandering the earth, trying to make contact, he finally warns him that on these nights leading up to Christmas Eve, that he has been informed by a higher power that now these contacts can be made to Scrooge to warn him that his soul is in danger. These three different spirits are going to come see him each night, the ghosts of Christmas. Now, this idea of waiting for a connection is also the setup to the very first Christmas. See, for generations and generations, there was always a handful of people 
a remnant of Jewish people who waited every single day, not for the arrival of Santa Claus or Christmas ghosts, but for a Messiah, a Savior from God. In every single generation, there was a group of people who literally lived their lives every single day in obedience to God's commands. And they hoped that this was going to be the day that the Messiah was going to arrive. But unlike the certainty of our Christmas on the calendar every year, this went on year after year, decade after decade, generation after generation, not for seven years, but for the Jewish people for over 700 years. And over that time, 99.9% .9 of these people who waited and prayed for the coming of the Messiah died, and no Messiah came. And while many of the Jews over these 700 years abandoned their faith, thought it must have been a fairy tale, a myth, just a story like a Charles Dickens novel, there was always a group of people that continued to get up every single day and chose to live their lives as if this could be the day when the Messiah would come. And so today, as we begin this series called Ghosts of Christmas, I want to introduce you to two of these people in Scripture. So if you have your Bibles or Bible app, we're again going to be in the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke in the New Testament, third book, chapter one. And as you find that, here's why this is so relevant for us. Because at some point for each and every one of us in our Christian experience, if you haven't had this happen to you already, you probably will. But at some point in your Christian walk, God is going to feel quiet. God is going to seem inactive. And there are going to be times in your lives where you're going to look around and you're going to say, why am I doing this? Why am I attending? Why am I serving? Why am I giving? Why am I believing? Why am I obeying? Why in the world am I day after day after day choosing to live my life as if there's actually something bigger than me. Why am I doing that? Am I just following along because this is something my parents told me? Is it just my fear that if I abandon my faith or walk away from God that somehow it's not going to go well for me? Is it just superstition and story for me? And at some point in all of our lives, there are seasons, there are years, there are certain periods of life where in our attempts to be faithful and good Christian people, we look around and say, what am I getting out of this? Where is it going? Is there really anything to this? And if you've ever had that thought, if you've ever had that question, maybe you're struggling in one of those periods of life right now, the good news is the Christmas story is exactly for you. In fact, the Christmas story, beginning with these two characters that we're going to look at today, in some pretty tangible ways, is kind of like your story. So here's how it begins. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5, and this is what it says. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. This means that Elizabeth and Zechariah both came from the priestly lineage in Israel. Basically, they were preacher's kids from a long, 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 long line of preacher's kids. In other words, they came from what we would consider a serious family tree of holy religious leaders or priests. Now, this is kind of where we pick up on some of the tension 
in the story. Verse 6, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees. What's that last word, church? Blamelessly. So when God looked at these two people, Liz and Zach, when he looked at Liz and Zach, he went, these are my people. These are people who are doing it right. They have given me first place in their lives. They have given me first place in their family. As we talked about in the last series, they were God-centered in how they lived and how they chose to use their time on earth. God wasn't just a part of their life. He was their life. If you sent a private investigator to follow them around, there wouldn't be anything to tell, okay? And here's what's amazing. They were living this way as followers of God based on promises that had been given 2,000 years earlier. But for the last 700 years, God had done nothing. No visible sign of God, no miracle from God for the nation of Israel. He had been silent. And yet these two people chose day after day after day to live their lives as if they knew Christmas was coming, as if they truly believed that God's Messiah, a Savior, was coming and that God was going to keep his promise to Israel. And so we want to know, hey, hey, Zach, hey, Liz, you've made God first in your life. How's that working out for you? Check out the next verse, verse 7. It says, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So let me get this straight. You guys are making God first with your entire life, getting up day after day, trusting God, waiting for this supposed Messiah, being good godly people, and this great God of yours rewards you by leaving you old and childless. Do I have that right? And let me tell you something, church. In that culture, in situations like this, it was always the woman's fault. In that culture, women always got the blame, never the men, because there was no medical knowledge like today. All they knew was women are the ones who can get pregnant. She's not getting pregnant. It's her fault. That's what they believed. And, and they believed also, and this is very offensive, but they believed, many of people at that time, that that's what women were good for. That's all they were good for. They had no political standing. They generally weren't allowed to have careers. They weren't educated unless they were very, very rich from a rich family. And so for a woman not to be able to have children in that day and age, in that culture, they believed in a very real sense that God had chosen to curse her for some reason. And so for Elizabeth, this righteous woman, this godly woman who lived blamelessly for God throughout her teenage years, young adult years, adult years, middle age years, and now into her senior years, it was essentially over. It was too late for her. Her time had passed. God had done nothing for her. And we find out later in the story that they had prayed, that Liz and Zach had prayed fervent prayers before their God. They had prayed desperate prayers of a couple so wanting to have a child, but God had said, no, he was silent. And so this, this righteous woman named Elizabeth lived with shame and pain, and all of this, all the way through her life, was a part of her story into her senior years. Now, Here's what's so ridiculous about this. Elizabeth and Zechariah, their deep faithfulness to God was actually based on a promise made to their ancestor, Abraham, 2,000 years earlier, 4,000 years before us. God had supposedly 
connected with this guy named Abraham. And here's what God had said to Abraham. He said, I'm going to make you into a great nation, which actually happened, by the way, the nation of Israel came from Abraham. So that's kind of an interesting coincidence. And then God said, I will bless you, Abraham, and I will make your name great. Okay, probably check two on that one, because most of you, before you even came in here today, you probably heard of Father Abraham. But here's where it starts to break down. Then God said, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and all the peoples of earth will be blessed through you. All people on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. And so this was kind of the root idea of why the Jewish people believed there was something more, that God had a greater story, a greater plan for the nation of Israel. And if you know the story, after God gave Abraham this promise, Abraham and his wife Sarah finally did have a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob who had 12 sons. They moved to Egypt. They had some fun times with Pharaoh, and then eventually became a nation. The new Pharaoh was threatened, and then they became a slave nation in Egypt for hundreds of years until finally God raised up a leader. Do you guys remember his name? Moses, that's right. And he led them to freedom and the promised land that God had for them. And they became a kingdom. And for a moment, for just a moment, it looked like God was about to fulfill that last part of the promise. He was finally going to bless all peoples on earth through this lineage of Abraham because there was an awesome king named King David, and it was the golden era of Israel from David to King Solomon. If ever there was going to be a time that God was going to leverage Israel to bless all people on earth, surely it was during this time. But no, then everything fell apart. The wheels came off the bus. The nation split into two nations, Israel and Judah. There were a few good kings, a lot of bad kings. And between the time of King Solomon and the time of Zach and Liz, the nation of Israel changed hands over 25 times. The Syrians took them over. The Babylonians took them over. The Greeks took them over. The Persians took them over. They were exiled for 70 years. I mean, the nation of Israel became weak, the weakest of the weak. It no longer had wealth. It no longer had power. And so the idea that God could possibly bless the world through the nation of Israel seemed ridiculous. Not only was it not going to happen, it couldn't happen. And then finally, to add insult to injury, in 65 BC, a famous Roman general named Pompey the Great marched an army into Jerusalem, pushed past the temple guards, right past the priests, and walked into the Holy of Holies in the Jewish temple, the place where the Jews believed that God's spirit literally dwelled. The place where only the high priest would get selected to go once a year and serve before God, and they would tie a rope around him so if he had sinned and God decided to kill him while he was in there, they could drag the body out from the Holy of Holies. The place that Jews believed if you went into uninvited, God would literally strike you dead like Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, if you guys remember that movie. And on that day, the priests gasped as Pompey the Great, a heathen Roman general, a Gentile, a non-Jew, walked right into the Holy of Holies, looked around, walked out, and God did nothing. And word spread throughout Jerusalem, and the implications became very, very, very clear that the Roman gods, Jupiter, Zeus, 
The gods of Olympus must be more powerful than Yahweh, the one true God of Israel. And Zechariah was actually a little boy when that event happened. His father was a temple priest, and no doubt he remembered the day his dad came home and tore off his robes and started to bitterly weep because the temple had been desecrated by a heathen Roman general and God had done nothing. And yet that boy would go on to become a priest himself and still serve God his whole life and marry a godly woman named Elizabeth who would choose to serve God with her whole life. And while so many Jews had turned away, had abandoned God, had turned from their belief in God, Zechariah and Elizabeth did not. And if you had come to them at that time and if you had said, guys, why do you still believe this? It's over. God's a myth. Yeah, part of the Abraham story came true. There was a nation. Yeah, people know the name Abraham, but that's just coincidence. That's just legends. Israel will never rise again. It will never be a world power again. Nothing could ever possibly come from this tiny little dusty place that would ever be able to impact, let alone bless the entire world. Give it up, guys. Walk away, enjoy your last few years of your senior years in your childless life because God, if he's even real, abandoned you. If we had whispered that into their ears during that difficult time in their life, guess what, church? We would have been completely wrong. Because the reason Luke begins his story with this story is because this was the beginning of something brand new that would ultimately result in the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. And the reason this story should be so important to you guys and is so important to me is because, as I said earlier, there are moments, there are periods, there are seasons of times in all of our lives where we wonder, is God real? Are you there, God? If you are there, are you even listening? Do you even care? And on Christmas, the answer is a resounding yes. Here's how the story goes. Luke 1, verse 8 and 9. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So essentially there are 23 groups of priests and they cast lots or gambled to see which one would be chosen. And being chosen was not something that was a common occurrence. It was very rare. If you were lucky once in your lifetime as a priest, you might get chosen. And Zechariah was chosen. And so he goes alone into the temple and he stands right outside of the curtain that divides the outer temple from the inner temple, the Holy of Holies. And he stands right outside where he believes that God's spirit is dwelling and he offers some incense to God. It's a very sacred occasion. It is an honor for a priest to be chosen. And here's what happens, verse 10 and 11. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So he's in there all by himself, kind of doing his priest thing, just another day, special day, in the life of a priest, trying to be faithful. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appears. Verse 12, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled. I wonder why. And was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, 
Zechariah. And this is just, if you, if you don't read the Bible much, this is the standard angel response, okay? Angels, they just go ahead and try to get this out of the way when they first start talking to people. And the reasons angels have to start conversations with do not be afraid is because, again, when people see angels, they freak out, okay? That's just what happens. See, when I hear modern-day stories about people seeing angels and they say, oh, an angel appeared, we had a conversation it was so nice and, and sweet and wonderful. I'm thinking, I don't know what you were smoking, but that doesn't sound like a Bible angel to me. Because when Bible angels appear, people fall on their face and wet their pants, okay? Like Bible angels are big and powerful and scary. Even when they're not trying to be scary, they're scary. People say all the time, I wish God would speak to me. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know if I would wish that. Maybe in the daytime, definitely not at night, I'd mess the bed and my wife wouldn't be happy with me. And so this angel appears and says, do not be afraid. This angel has good news, but still, Zechariah is gripped with fear. And he's a godly man, right? He's a blameless, godly man, fallen God his entire life, a priest. Imagine if it was one of us. We're jacked up, right? An angel appears to us, we'd soil ourselves and start confessing stuff. And the angel will be like, stop, stop confessing. It's okay, I got good news. What's that smell? But here's what the angel says. This is awesome. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. Your prayer has been heard. How many of you would like to hear those words sometime? Right? Wouldn't that be awesome? Like not even that the answer is yes. Just to know that like God heard your prayer, just a confirmation every once in a while during the day, maybe an email or a text, not like a scary angel appearing. But wouldn't you like to know that God heard your prayers? And this angel tells Zechariah that he is about to have a child, him and his wife, who's going to become a very famous John. He's going to become John the who? Does anybody know? John the Baptist, that's right. And this is how the Christmas story begins. Continuing in verse 14. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And again, why would John the Baptist have to help bring people back to God? Because so many of the Israelites had abandoned God. Why? They had good reason. God had been silent for over 700 years. Most of them thought it's a myth, okay? God's a myth. The stories we heard from our parents, it's all just a myth. Just interesting things to tell your kids at bedtime, like a Charles Dickens Christmas carol. But the God of Israel, if he existed, he's abandoned us. He's not here anymore. Verse 17. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then look at Zechariah's reaction to this in verse 18. This is hilarious. At least I think this is funny. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? 
I'm an old man, and my wife is, pause, well along in years. You got to love the Bible. This is why I tell you guys you should read it for yourself, okay? You can see the wheels in Zechariah's head turning in this encounter, can't you? He's like, look, Mr. Angel, I'm an old man, and my wife, she's not listening, right? I don't want to wind up sleeping on the couch. Um, She's well along in years. Still looks great. Don't tell her I said she was old. In other words, he says to the angel, look, I'm glad you say you heard our prayers, but I think God might be a little late on his timing. Because we prayed in our 20s, in our 30s, in our 40s, kind of hoped in our 50s. We quit in our 60s. There's something called biology, Mr. Angel. And now I'm old and my wife looks great, but she's up there. And the angel said to him, I love this. The angel is like, seriously? Seriously? You're talking to a freaking angel and this is the question you're going to ask? Here's here's a response. Verse 19. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Did you guys catch the last part? At their appointed time. Wait, you mean to tell me that God had this day marked on his calendar? You mean to tell me that for 700 years, since the glory days of King David and Solomon, God waited on purpose? You mean to tell me that God watched his people abandon him in droves because it looked like there was no way Israel was ever going to be strong enough again to bless the world. And all along, God wasn't absent and God still had a plan. You mean that God had not stopped paying attention? You mean that God had not only heard my prayers and my wife's prayers, but the prayers of all his people for generation after generation after generation? Yep. Verse 21. Meanwhile, The people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple that kept, you know, that for he kept making signs to them, but he he remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he then returned home. So the other priests were wondering, what is taking this guy so long? When he finally comes out, they realize something supernatural happened to this guy. He can't speak. Verse 24. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. But that was just the warm-up, church. That was just evidence that God was gearing up to do something that he had planned to do all along. That God is a God who keeps his promises, and now finally the day had come when God was going to put into action what he had planned to do since he had first made a promise to Abraham 2,000 years earlier to them. That every nation on earth was soon going to be blessed with an incredible gift. Here's how the story concludes and how our next story begins for next week. Verse 26. In the sixth month, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant 
of David. The virgin's name was Mary. This is our story, church. This is our dilemma, isn't it? Do we stay or do we go? Do we believe or do we stop believing? Do we serve or do we do something else? Do we give or do we just spend on ourselves like there's nothing more beyond this life? Do we stay in that difficult marriage or do we just do what everybody else in the world is doing? Do we lie and cheat or do we strive for integrity? But see, despite history and despite what the winds of culture may say and how they may blow, in every generation there has always been a remnant of people who decide to remain faithful in spite of the fact that they see God do seemingly nothing. And the good news is this. If that's your situation right now, if that's how you feel right now, the first good news is there's nothing wrong with you. There's absolutely nothing wrong with you. If that's where you're at right now, welcome to the world of Zach and Liz, a couple that decided we're going to follow God and we're going to choose to make him first in spite of what we see and in spite of what other people say. And we can't imagine how God could possibly give us a child or use the nation of Israel to bless the world when we're nothing but an occupied Roman territory. And that's the dilemma. Church, that's the dilemma that all of us will face at some point in our walk with God. The good news is it's normal. The challenge is, will you be one of the special people? Will you be a part of that remnant? Will you be that unique middle or high school student that unique young adult, that unique couple, that unique single person that says, I'm gonna maintain my faith and my standards. I'm gonna maintain integrity because at the end of the day, I wanna know I'm sold out for God whether I see him do anything or not. And so Christmas, the story of Christmas is a reminder. It's a reminder that your faith in God is never misplaced. It's a reminder that even when God is silent, he is not absent. He is not uninterested in you. It's a reminder that God is always aware, that he's always in control, and that he can do anything that he chooses to do. And it's a reminder that God is paying attention and that he cares and that he is moved by those who remain faithful. But best of all, the story of Christmas is a reminder that your faith and your hope are never in vain. There's a song that we sing around this time of year. It's, it's called, Oh Holy Night. And it was written a long time ago. The lyrics are actually written by a French poet. And, and I love this line in the song because it so captures the idea of the message. It says, long lay the world. Long lay the world for hundreds and hundreds of years. Long lay the world in sin and error, and here's a word we don't use that much anymore, pining. In sin and error, pining, which means longing, praying, waiting. And Christmas is a reminder that our longing, our waiting, our hoping, our trusting in God is not in vain. That our faith in God is not misplaced and that our God is a God who always keeps his promises. Can we pray together, church? Let's stand together. Let's stand together. 
heads bowed, eyes closed, let's, let's pray. And then the worship team is gonna lead us in, in this powerful song. Heavenly Father, thank you for being a God who loves us, who cares for us, a God who is not distant and uncaring, but a God who knows, a God who cares, a God who can be trusted, a God who is in control. Father, for the person here struggling today with faith, the teenager, the young adult, the adult, the senior, and maybe they're in that, that dark season of life right now, just wondering if you're there. God, may you just in a powerful way bring peace to their heart and remind them that you are the God who loves, who cares, who knows, who has them in your hands. God, for the person in here today who maybe has always questioned you and wonder if you even exist, God, I pray during this Christmas series, season as, as we await you know, this special holiday that many of us love, that time after time after time, you would touch their heart, you would speak to them. And that you might move them to a point of faith where they could say, God, I believe. God, I want to place my trust in you. God, I pray today that that this story of Zach and Elizabeth, Lord, that we would be able to gain wisdom from it for our lives. Give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard. And as always, we pray, give us the courage to do something with it. In this season of pining, waiting, hoping, thank you for being the God who always has a plan and who always keeps his promises. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together, O Holy Night. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth.
God, you are an awesome God. You are the promise keeper. God, as we again begin the season of Advent and we are stand in a time of waiting and anticipation, we again thank you that you are the God who keeps his promises, the God who knows each and every one of us, our fears, our struggles, the challenges we go through, and you care. In fact, you saw our greatest need, that our sins separated us from you a perfect holy God, and you did something about it. You sent Jesus, the greatest gift, who would pay for our sins so that we could have a personal relationship with you, that we could become sons and daughters of the king of the universe and live with you forever. How awesome are you? Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you for Jesus, and thank you for Christmas. I pray blessings upon these, your people. May they go in peace today and in continued anticipation of what's to come. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Hope you have a wonderful week. Hope to see you back in part two next Sunday of Ghosts of Christmas. And I want to share one other quick announcement with you. Um, the lovely Miss Lila. Lila, can you wave your hand? Lovely Miss Lila, who is 91 years old. God bless her. She is amazing. I want to be you, Lilo, when I'm 91. I want to, I totally want to do that. Um, Lila said she, she's excited about this series, and she's like, if, if people want to know one of the cool things about what Christmas was like back in the day, that she has this beautiful Christmas china set. Is that right? This china set. And she's going to have it available Thursday at the clothing closet. Our Life Essentials Ministry does a clothing closet downstairs uh, once a month on Thursday. A lot of, um, you know, uh, immigrants from the community and people in need come and get clothing. If you'd like to come and see it on Thursday, you can do that. And if someone would like to make uh, a donation to the Life Essentials Ministry, she's willing to part with it uh, for a donation for that ministry as well. Is that correct, Lila? So we hope to see some of you on Thursday at our clothing closet. God bless you guys.